Thank you for joining us today on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our series, Rhythms of Grace. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Hope Church family. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We'll be there in just a while. Romans chapter 12. Excited to jump in today. What do you think of when you hear the word transformation? Transformation, a word in our culture, a word we hear a lot. I remember specifically uh, many years ago now, there was a, a famous TV show, probably some of you watched, called Extreme Home Makeover. These were incredible transformations, honestly, like not real transformations. They took like a, a little ratty old shack and somehow sent the family to Disneyland for two days and came back and somehow they added 15,000 square feet to this house and a guy named Ty with spiky hair was the miracle worker in the mix. Transformation, amazing transformation. When social media became a thing, uh, when, when we all started to see hashtag Transformation Tuesday, some of you guys remember that? People will basically say, hey, praise God, I don't look like I used to look in high school. Hashtag Transformation Tuesday. I thought of a, I Googled that actually, Transformation Tuesday this week, and, and I, this was one of the first pictures that popped up, and if you grew up in church, you'll like this one here. This is, uh, this is Bob and Larry right here from VeggieTales. If you grew up in church, you know Bob and Larry, but I hate to break it to you, this is the, the, the dark turn Transformation Tuesday of what Bob and Larry became. There it is right there. Sorry about that. Crushing all your Christian kid dreams there with Bob and Larry, cucumber, tomato salad. Transformation. In, in the Greek, the original language that the New Testament was, was written in, the Greek word for transformation is the word metamorpho. Metamorpho. As soon as I say that, probably like me when I studied this week, I thought, well, I know, I know an English word that we got from that Greek word. And of course, it's the English word metamorphosis. When I think of metamorphosis, when I see the word metamorphosis, I go back to, to fifth grade science and probably, in my opinion, the most amazing metamorphosis that, that God baked into creation, and that is the metamorphosis that happens in this little guy's life right there, this caterpillar. This is actually a pretty nice-looking caterpillar. Normally, they don't look that pretty, but this guy's life is, is kind of boring. Let's be honest. He, he probably sits on that leaf for the whole day, <laughs> Not doing much, not able to do much, but little does this guy know, he's about to go through an incredible transformation. You see, one day he, he takes a really long nap, and then another day he busts out and becomes this beautiful creation. And what was a pretty lame insect becomes a, another kind of insect that people chase around and try to catch and take pictures of for their Instagram, and he becomes a beautiful butterfly through this incredible process. Metamorphosis, transformation. We see this in the world we live in. We see this on TV, but we don't just see that in those environments. We also see it in the Bible. In fact, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, this is, I know many people here are followers of Jesus. You have to understand that in one very real sense, you have already been transformed. The Bible would talk about a pretty incredible metamorphosis that happened in your life. In a very real, on-the-ground sense, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have already been transformed. And I always want to remind us of this, because it's important when we don't feel like it. 
It's important to have this gospel reminder that you are transformed, Jesus follower. Look at what Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says about us. Notice all of the past tensed words used in this verse. This is Jesus. He, that's Jesus, has delivered us. Past tense from the domain of darkness and, and transferred ED. It's, it's done us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. That's present tense. You currently have redemption. What does that mean? The forgiveness of your sins. Listen, Jesus follower, in a very real sense, it is done. You have been transformed. There's nothing you have to do today. There's nothing you have to strive for or toil over to try to get into the kingdom of the beloved son. It is done, and you currently have redemption. This is your position today before Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. But how many of us, if we're being honest... <laughs> Don't feel very transformed. Am I the only one in the room that can sometimes not feel? You guys are all a bunch of liars. <laughs> I'll prove it to you. In about a half an hour, maybe a little longer, you're about to leave this parking lot and enter that God-forsaken construction area, and you're going to be saying things in your head or maybe out loud to fellow church members that's going to make you feel not very transformed. Somebody understands when the kids are acting a fool, when the boss says something crazy, all the while you're going, man, I think I've been transformed, but I don't feel very transformed right now. That's because there's some work to be done. God has, has you, Jesus follower, in a process, a loving, slow, hard process called sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means God is still transforming you. He's practically working out in you what has already been done. Sanctification. It's kind of a big word we use in church just so we're all on the same page. I'll give you a simple definition of sanctification. Becoming in practice what God has declared you to be in truth. See, there's a lot going on in that cocoon of the caterpillar to produce the beauty that is the butterfly. And there's a lot going on in our lives that God is at work to produce the beauty of what he is creating right now in your life. The best verse that I know that describes this is the one I asked you to turn to, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 an amazing verse of scripture. This is an underlined kind of verse, a memorized kind of verse. Here's Romans chapter 12 in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have these contrasting ideas. There's this idea of being conformed, squeezed into a mold, shaped like Play-Doh. And then there's this idea of being transformed. Now, I need us to all get our thinking caps on for a minute because we're about to go to some grammar school because it's important to understand the power of this verse. You see, that those two words, be transformed, is an imperative in the original Greek language. We've been trying to teach our church, what is an imperative? An imperative is a command. Be transformed. But this is a different kind of imperative. 
You see, this is it's kind of a rare imperative in that it's a passive imperative. Say, okay, I'm not really tracking. What does that mean? What it means is very good news for us. It's not saying, Jesus follower, hey, go out and transform yourself. That is not what this verse is saying. It's passive. It's not transform yourself. It's be transformed. On the ground, what does that mean? It means that someone or something other than you and I is working with us to make us what we are currently not. There's someone else in the mix, and praise God, it's the Lord. Best picture of this is a sailboat. A sailboat. If you and I were all to get in a, get in a, a, a bus right now and head out to Lake Mead, I don't know if there's any water left in Lake Mead, but say there's some water left in Lake Mead, we're at all to jump on a sailboat. When we get on that sailboat, we would anticipate sailing. And there's some things that we can do to sail, and then there's some things that we cannot do in order to sail. Of course, if we had any hope of sailing, the first thing we would want to do is raise up the sails. That is what we can do. But of course, there's something else that we cannot do in order to make that boat go, and that is, of course, produce the wind. You and I can't manipulate the wind. We can't create the wind. We can't demand the wind. All we can do is lift up the sails so that if the wind were to decide to blow, we would be ready to move. This is be transformed. There's an option, Hope Church, of us being conformed or transformed. And what I want us to see as I introduce this message today is that every person in this room is either being conformed or transformed. What I mean to say is there is no middle ground. Whether you love Jesus or not, in this moment, you are either being conformed like a piece of Play-Doh to fit this world's mold, or as Romans 12 says, you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind in a transformation process to look more and more like Jesus. And I say all that to lead us to a question that we will wrestle with today. And here's the question. Is there something, a habit, a practice from the life and teaching of Jesus that can raise up the sails in our lives to allow time and space so that if the wind of God were to move on our lives, we can move towards transformation? Is there something we can do to create time and space so that if the wind of God were to move in our lives, we can be transformed? And I am here to tell you very passionately, yes. There is something we can do to lift up the sails of our lives and be transformed. We're in a series right now. We've been in for a couple weeks. I hope you're tracking online. If not, please go back and listen to the messages. We won't be able to unpack everything that we've been walking through these last few weeks. But it's a series called Rhythms of Grace, practicing the way of Jesus in everyday life. We've made a, a resource page available. We so desire these not to just be messages that we listen to, but something that actually becomes a way of life for us. Access actually becomes something that we practice. So there's books and podcasts and resources that we made available to our church that I hope you are tapping into. But what we've said over these last few weeks is that if you look at Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples, people who are wearied with life, 
people who have burdens, people a lot like all the people that I'm looking at right now. And he says an iconic line to them that maybe you've heard. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me if you're tired of trying to figure this all out by yourself. And he says, and I will give you rest. Why? Because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. We taught over these last few weeks that that when a first century teacher talked about his yoke, what he was talking about was his way of living. He's saying, put on my way of life because it's how you were made to live. It's easy and it's light. So we've said a statement in the last few weeks we want to continuously remind you of. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. This is how we experience this kind of life that Jesus promised. We abide in Christ. We trust the Spirit of God in us. And then we do what the Bible says and we train. We train for godliness. How do we train? One of the ways we train is by spiritual disciplines or habits or what we're calling rhythms of grace. By way of recap, what are rhythms of grace? Rhythms of grace are habits or practices based on the life of Jesus, life and teaching of Jesus that create time and space for Jesus followers to be transformed by God. We're saying these are the ways we lift our main sail up. Rhythms of grace are ways that we say, God, so if you were to move on our lives, we are ready to move and be transformed. But I always wanna remind us that the rhythms or the disciplines or the practices are not the goal. They are a means to a greater goal, which is more of God, more abiding in Christ, more of transformation by the Spirit, not the practices in and of themselves. So last week we introduced our first practice, prayer in silence and solitude. I hope this week you've been able to get some time away, take the headphones out, get away from the people for just a moment, for just a few moments, and experience silence and solitude with the Lord. This week, the practice on the table, the habit, the, the rhythm of grace on the table for us to wrestle with is reading God's word. Reading God's word. This is not gonna be the first sermon. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard a sermon on what it looks like to read God's word. I understand in this room this size, there are people that have never read God's word and there are people that read God's word every single day. So to make sure we're all on the same page with where we're headed today, let me give you the big idea, what we call a sermon in a sentence. There is truth revealing, freedom bringing, life changing power in the practice of reading God's word. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you need convincing. I hope over the next 25 minutes to help us understand there is truth-revealing, freedom-bringing, life-changing power in the practice of reading God's Word. And just so we're all on the same page, not wanting to take anything for granted, when I talk about God's Word, I am talking about this book right here, the Bible. 66 books, actually. It's, it's a library of books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. This is the Word of God. We believe this is the truth of God and the truth about God. It is authoritative and inspired and inerrant and sufficient and necessary. This is God's Word. 
It's all telling this beautiful redemption story of Jesus Christ and his glory. And it's what we preach from every week here. It is our sufficiency of preaching. This is what we preach. God's word, or as the New Testament writers call it, scripture. It's a powerful passage of scripture talking about what, how health, helpful and, and useful this word is in 2 Timothy. I love how the New Living Translation put it. All scripture, that is God's word, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and, and teaches us to do what is right. This is helpful. This is good for us. In fact, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he was actually praying to the Father in John chapter 17. And I want you to see what he actually prays for all of us, followers of Jesus. Look at what he says. As we are being transformed, this is Jesus' prayer for us. Sanctify them. That's that word, sanctification. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is what we have access to today. This is a series about exploring the, the practices of Jesus. So we have to ask the question, how, how did Jesus relate to the word of God? What was Jesus's relationship with the word of God? And so to do that, I wanna give us a foundational reality. I'm gonna unpack it a little bit. Jesus knew and believed the scriptures. As you study Jesus's life, he, he knew and believed the scriptures. There's times when we see Jesus enter the synagogue and one of the first things he does is he grabs a scroll, which is a portion of the Old Testament, and he begins to read God's word. He believed the, the scripture was God's inspired word. You say, show me that. He, he says things like the Holy Spirit spoke through David and then he would quote some of the book of Psalms. So he's saying the Holy Spirit spoke through this man, David, and then he quotes God's word. Or he would say, God said, and then he would quote Moses. Why? Because he knew that God was speaking through Moses. It was inspired. He would say, not one dot of the I or cross of the T would ever be broken until the things of this book were accomplished. And in fact, over 180 times in conversations he had, he either referenced or quoted the Old Testament. Jesus knew and believed the scriptures, which leads me to ask us a question of application. Jesus knew and believed the scriptures. Do you know and believe the scriptures? We, we have them. It's useful, 2 Timothy says. I'm in a room at church with a bunch of people. I'm guessing there wouldn't be a lot of people that wouldn't raise their hand and say, oh, yeah, I believe the scriptures. Of course, I'm at church. I believe it. But do you know the scriptures. And this is a burden of mine because there's just been something happening in America over the last 20 or 30 years where more Christians are, are actually not reading the Bible. It used to be assumed if you follow Jesus, you would be diving in the word of God, but that's not so much the case anymore. The stats are alarming. There are a lot of Christians that do not have any sort of regular relationship with the Bible. I'll put it to you this way. People who claim to follow Jesus are becoming more and more ignorant of the Bible and imitators of the world. So what's happening is Romans 12, chapter 2 is happening. 
Romans 12, verse 2 is happening. We are, we are not reading our Bible, so we're not having our face in this book. So because of that, we're being conformed. We're becoming more and more ignorant of what the Word of God says, and we're becoming imitators of the world because we are being pressed into its mold. But the call of a follower of Jesus is to have our face in this book, be people of this book, being transformed day by day to look more and more like Jesus. Problem is, we read all the same books as the world. We watch all the same shows, we listen to all the same music, and we wonder why, slowly but surely, we're looking more like the society around us and less like the Savior in us. It's because we're not in the Word of God. And I'm going to try over the next 20 minutes to encourage us passionately. If right now you're a follower of Jesus who doesn't spend daily time in this book, I hope you see this incredible book that might be sitting on your shelf could change your life. We are not neutral, Hope Church. You are either being conformed or you are being transformed. Donald Whitney said it pretty clearly. If you want to be changed, if you want to become more like Jesus Christ, discipline yourself to read the Bible. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking a few verses. John chapter 8. Hopefully I want to open on your lap or in your app. John chapter 8. As you're turning there, what's going on here? I always want to give you a little bit of context. By this point, Jesus has a bunch of people following him around. There are some followers that are sold out to what he's got to say, but a lot of people are just casually observing What's this Jesus guy up to today? What, what kind of things is he going to talk about? And they're kind of curious, but they're not fully sold out yet. They're not his followers. And he's talking to this group of people right here in John chapter 8. So we're going to read verses 31 and 32 and spend the rest of our time diving into these verses. So this is the word of the Lord, John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Many of us have heard these words, these kind of famous passage of Scripture. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That's such a great word. That word disciples can also be translated apprentices. These are followers of Jesus sitting under the teaching. We all know what apprentices are in our world. These are people constantly learning from and sitting under and apprenticing under Jesus. So as we unpack these two verses, I want to give us three simple truths about Jesus followers. And as I do, I hope they will inspire us. And motivate us to be people who practice reading God's word. Here's the first truth about Jesus followers, and it comes right out of the text. Jesus followers, followers of Jesus, abide in the word of God. You'll notice these are not fancy, fancy headings, fancy points. They come right out of Mark, or John 8, 31 and 32. Followers of Jesus abide in the word. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my Disciples. This word abide, you just got to know if you're new to hope. We love this word abide. It can be translated remain in. It's such a powerful word. But as I studied it this week, it also can be translated dwell in. Or my favorite one that I read this week, make your home in. I thought, man, what if followers of Jesus made their home in the word of God? 
true disciples, apprentices and followers of Jesus. We, we dwell deeply in the word of God. At Hope Church, we call this God time. Time spent daily alone in fellowship with God. What is that? Time spent making our home in the word of God. I wonder if that's how you would describe your life, my life. Man, that's somebody that, that dwells deeply in the word of God. That, that's somebody that, that makes their home in the word of God. Unfortunately, for my life and maybe yours, I could say that about some things in my life that are not God's word. Because I like to dwell deeply in my social media apps. Some of you do too. You make your home in your favorite news app or your favorite news station or God help us, Amazon.com, where you can literally make your home in. And we think about what we really dwell deeply on, and I don't know how many of us would say the word of God. This is where we abide. Remember, it's not about just checking a box and saying, I read my Bible. It's because it leads us to greater intimacy with him. It leads us to more of God. Author and speaker Jen Wilkin, I love how she said it. She said, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And we get to know the word of God by making our home in the word of God. Second point, followers of Jesus know truth from the word of God. Followers of Jesus know truth from the word of God. It says there, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. The truth. What a loaded word in 2023, huh? What is truth? So many of us are asking the exact same question Pontius Pilate asked Jesus in the New Testament before he sent him to the cross. What is truth? It's honestly a hard question to wrestle with. But the great news for us as followers of Jesus is we don't have to define truth as a principle because we follow a person who claimed to be the truth. Some of you know where this is. John 14, verse 6. This is Jesus talking. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is such good news for us, followers of Jesus. In a world of deception, we have access to the truth every single day through our relationship with Christ and through his word. The question is, knowing that we have access by the blood of Jesus to the truth, are we accessing and tapping into that truth as we go to combat the, the lies of the world that we live in? There's an old phrase maybe you've heard. Garbage in, garbage out. Some of you have heard this. What does that mean? What you allow in, what I allow in, what I focus on, what I dwell deeply in, it is inside of me being recycled and forming me and will eventually play itself out of my life. Things that I allow into my life will come out of my life. I thought of a funny example with this. Back when I was finishing up high school, we, the world was taken storm by, by, honestly, a very strange movie that looking back, I'm not sure why it was so popular, but it was like an instant cult classic. Maybe you remember this movie. It is, of course, Napoleon Dynamite. Right there, that's Deb, that's Napoleon, that's Pedro. He's got a, little, he's got a brother named Kip. It's, it, it, honestly, if you've never seen the movie, don't even waste your time. It doesn't even make any sense now. 
But back then, it was everything. I mean, it was all over the place to the point where my friends and I would watch it and then we'd rewatch it and then we'd rewatch it. And out of nowhere, some of you did this too, we just started talking like Napoleon Dynamite. It's not like we got in a circle and said, okay, you be Kip and I'll be Napoleon and you be Pedro. No, it's almost like it just like happened to us. What was happening is we just were diving deep into this goofy movie. And out of nowhere, we just became people that started acting like what we were constantly dwelling in. And some of you know where I'm going with this. That is life. The friends you allow around you. The movies you watch, the the music you listen to, whatever you allow in, it shapes you, like it or not. And you become that kind of person. Or to use Romans 12 language, you are conformed. John Mark Comer, pastor and author, he wrote an incredible book I highly recommend called Live No Lies. This is how he said it. He says, what we give our attention to will shape the persons we become. Many of us spend hours every day filling our minds with lies, cutting off our minds from God's spirit and truth in only a few minutes each morning, if that, filling our minds with truth. Is it any wonder we often see the world more through the lens of a secular theory than scripture? This is what is happening in our midst And I just want to sit here for just a moment because it begs to be said, there are some of you right now that you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but your life looks a lot more like the society around you than the Savior in you and his word. How many of you would say, man, this book bears weight on the way I live my life. This book bears weight on the things that that I think about philosophically, the things that I think about practically, the way I'm running my home, the way I'm running my business. It is driven by what I learned from the truth of God. Let's just put it on the ground for a moment. The way you approach sexuality and your sexual ethic and what you do with your body, is it driven by what the culture around us says or is it driven by what the word of God says? While I'm stepping on toes, politics. Are your politics more shaped by your favorite political analyst or whatever channel you like to watch or are your politics shaped by what is in this book? And by the way, both sides of the aisle would be pretty uncomfortable if it was shaped only by this book. Because as soon as I say that, I know me and my flesh and you and your flesh, you're thinking, oh yeah, get them over there on that side. We'd all be a little uncomfortable if we took only what God says for truth. The things you watch, the things you listen to, does this help or hinder your discipleship to Jesus? Church, this is not legalism. This is wisdom and spiritual training. The problem is it starts to sound like legalism because we bought the lie of the world that this book is irrelevant. But we just read and we know and believe this book is the truth. Garbage in, garbage out. John Piper always says it well. He said, Satan devotes 168 hours per week to deceiving you. I'll save you the math. That's all of them. (laughs) 168 hours per week to deceiving you. How can we possibly combat that without countering it with time and the word of God? 
follower of Jesus, we should soak our minds daily in the truth because we can know the truth from God's word. Number three, followers of Jesus can be set free by the word of God. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Such good news, the truth that we all have access to as followers of Jesus, it can set us free. How does it set us free? I'll give you a few reasons, a few ways. First, the word of God sets us free from the enemy's lies. We already talked about that in the last point, but let me just say, if you follow Jesus around in the Gospels, he repeatedly used the truth of God's word to stand against the lies of the enemy. How did he do that? Because he knew the word of God. If we don't spend time in God's word, we don't know God's word. So when we're face to face with the enemy, we can't use God's word to combat his lies. And some of you need to hear that because you're getting worn out by the enemy. And we need to know the word of God to be able to pop him in the face and say, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to quote my God. But we have to know it. And to know it, we spend time in it. And it changes us. Number two, the word of God sets us free for everyday living. The word of God sets us free for everyday living. Some of you have heard the phrase, live your best life. Or man, go live the truest version of you. If we really want to live our best life, we would actually live it according to what God says in his word. Why? Because he's the creator of life. He knows best how it should be lived. He's the creator, so he sets the standard. He understands best how life should be lived. I'll try to illustrate it by using something kind of funny that gets brought up in my house all the time. He was in the last service, but my nine-year-old son, Blaine, he's my youngest son. He is my mini-me. If you track him through, if, if you look at my old pictures around his age, I look just like Blaine. He looks just like me. It's amazing. And so there's these things that happen. We'll be driving and we'll be hanging out at the house and I'll do something. And my wife, now it's an inside joke. She'll look at me and she'll say, wow, you look just like Blaine when you did that. And I know this is super petty, but I always say, whoa, 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 time out. I don't look like Blaine. <laughs> Blaine looks like me. <laughs> Listen, he's nine and I am not nine. I am the one that created him. So if anybody looks like anybody, he looks like me. And I know that's really petty, but now it's just like a thing that we do. But the reality is I came first, so I set the standard. And some of you understand where I'm going. Because God is the creator of life. He sets the standard. So how dare us look at God and say, this is how we should be living. God says, I, I created this thing. I know exactly how it should be lived. And this is what is such good news for us. He's not a God who's saying, this is how it should be lived, and it's not for your joy. It's actually the best, most joyful, most full way to live. That is what we are promised. Number three, the word of God sets us free for eternal life. The word of God sets us free for eternal life. And some of you are confused. You're saying, how does the Bible set us free for eternal life? The Bible in and of itself doesn't set us free for eternal life, but it tells the story of the one who does. See, Jesus is the ultimate word of God. We read that in scripture. Jesus is the ultimate word of God. Some of you are like, okay, I'm tracking, but put some Bible on that. Some of you know this verse, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. 
And the word was with God and the word was God. That is not talking about this book. It is talking about Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Because 13 verses later, this is what John 1:14 says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the incarnate word, came to set us free. It's the good news of the gospel. He lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we should have died in our place for our sin, rising three days later to defeat death, hell, and the grave, and to stand ready to save anyone who would want to become a part of his family. This is how we're set free from the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, just know you are invited. You are invited to the table of the king to feast on the greatest life you could ever imagine because it's the life that he created you to live. So followers of Jesus, as we abide in Christ, as we grow, as we train, as we're being transformed, we must remember and press into this reality that there is a truth revealing, there is truth revealing, freedom bringing, life-changing power in the practice of reading God's word. Author and theologian Jerry Bridges said it pretty plainly. It is impossible to practice godliness without a constant, consistent, and balanced intake of the word of God in our lives. It's impossible. So I hope you're convinced I wanna take the next three minutes and I wanna put this on the ground practically. We've been saying over and over again in this series, I don't want us to be a church that just agrees with a sermon. I wanna apply the sermon. I don't wanna just have us listen, I wanna live it. How do we practice what has been preached? So maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm ready. How, how, do I, how do I begin practicing reading God's word? I'll give you just a few hopefully helpful tips because it's not rocket scientists, but it, rocket science, but it could change your life. First thing is simply schedule it. Schedule it. If you say, ah, I want to read God's word and I'll do so when I have more time, you will never have more time. You got to schedule it. For me, I shared last week, I got a chair in, in one of the rooms in my house. It's the same chair earlier than I want to wake up every morning. That is where I schedule my time with God. It is the priority because I understand if I let other things take priority, it will soon not be a priority and it won't happen. So it's the first thing I do every morning. I schedule it. Some of you, as simple as it is, you just need to find a block of time. Usually for me, it's helpful in the morning, probably for you as well. That means you might have to wake up a little earlier. But schedule it because it is priority to see change happen in your life. Second thing, pray before you read it. For me, I literally have the Bible open in my lap and I say, God, I'm about to read your word. Inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. And God, I need you to help me see what I don't see. God, I need you to, to reveal things in my life that need to be changed. These are just simple prayers that I pray to the Lord. Lord, as I read this passage of scripture, as I read this chapter, I need you to speak because I can't see what you don't reveal. And number three, read it with a plan. Some of you don't like plans, I understand that, but for me, I love just kind of walking through a plan. Right now, I don't do this every year, but I'm walking through the Bible in a year plan. 
doing the chronological version. So right now I'm, I'm in 2 Samuel and the book of Psalms, kind of simultaneously walking through the Old Testament and just loving what God is revealing. And I want to say, because some of you have approached the scripture sometimes and you're expecting fireworks the first time you read it. Like, I'm just going to open this thing and there's just going to be like, wow, happening. Let me just tell you, 20 years now of reading the Bible, there's not a lot of days of fireworks. In fact, there's some days where you walk away and you don't feel like you got anything. I'm just telling you from experience, you're faithful in days and weeks and months and years, slowly but surely, because you are face-to-face with the truth and the power and the Spirit of God at work in the mix. What looks like a boring time in the Word is actually transforming you. And slowly but surely, you're going to see this transformation happen, not necessarily with these big firework moments, but with simple obedience to what he's called you to do. And you're going to look back and say, I didn't used to think this way. But over time, face to face with the truth of God, I'm starting to think differently. What is this transformation? And so some of you need to just reorient your perspective. God, I'm not looking for fireworks. I'm just looking for truth. And I hold the truth in my hands and I'm asking you to change me day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Change me from the inside out. We adapted a a way to hopefully be helpful for you. If you're here and you're saying, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go and I need a a plan. You can find all this on the app. You can find all this in the sermon notes or on our resource page. But I'll just walk through it real quickly. We adapted this acronym. If you're saying, I want to hear from God, H-E-A-R. First thing you do is you highlight. As you read a portion of scripture, what jumps off the page? Take a pen, take a highlighter, highlight those words, highlight those sentences. What stood out to you? Secondly, you examine. You take those highlighted parts. You say, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me here? Why did this stick out to me? What is it that you might be saying in these moments? And this can all happen in a few moments' time. And then A, apply. Maybe for you it looks like you saying, Lord, is there something you're leading me to based on what you've revealed to me today? Is there something that you're asking me to do? Is there something going on in my family, and my work? Is there something, is there a reason I read this today? And then R, simply respond. God, You've shown me something today, and I want to respond in obedience. You've shown me something in my life, and I just want to respond to you. And I'm just telling you, from experience, there'll be times if you just start applying this to your life, things will pop up during your, during your day out of nowhere where you'll be able to apply the word of God that you read a few hours earlier in your God time. This is God using his truth in your life. So many Christians are missing it. I want to be a church with our faces in this book being transformed day by day to be people who look more and more like Jesus. So God, I pray right now for every person in our church. I thank you for your word, Lord. I say that every time I get done preaching. Thank you for your word. And Lord, today as we talked about your word the whole time, I specifically am grateful. And I pray for every person here, Lord, the people that have never read the Bible, the people that maybe feel stuck in the word right now and feel like they're not really growing or learning and maybe for people that are thriving. Lord, what's the deep, what's the next step that you would have us all take to just take a step deeper in reading your word? As we stand to sing in just a moment, Lord, would you just, would you lead us? Holy Spirit, would you show us what we need to do to raise up the sails in our lives so that when you 
blow through in our lives, we would be changed. If you need to talk to a pastor about what it looks like to follow Jesus, if you want to pray with somebody, if you just want to sit in your seat, however it is that God is leading you to respond, we always want to be open. So our pastors will be up here. However you want to respond to the word of God in your life, would you follow him in obedience? Jesus, be lifted up in this place. We trust you. We need you. In Jesus' name.